Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. Well, let's go ahead and turn over to Ephesians uh, chapter number 6. So we've been looking at this uh, fourth piece of armor, the shield of faith. The shield is, is good enough and it's, it's there for us to be able to quench the fiery darts, all the fiery darts, whatever those darts are that uh, come your way, temptations, uh, struggles, things like that. And so far we've seen how the believer can practically quench these fiery darts of anxiety and fear as we looked at uh, past couple weeks. But this week, we're gonna look at the fiery darts of uh, sexual immorality. When I asked people to fill out some of the darts that come their way, uh, one response that uh, I was getting was that of uh, lust, pornography, sexual immorality. And so obviously this is real struggles that even happen within this congregation. And we would be, we'd be blind and kind of naive Naive to think that that people really don't struggle with those types of things, even within a church uh, setting. Uh, the reality is that that's true, that uh, people do struggle with that. So this is what I want you to take away with you here today. The shield of faith can help me remain sexually moral. The shield of faith can help me remain sexually moral. So let's look at our text here, Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, I'm not going to belabor this point because we've already uh, gone over this whole fact of what it means to use the shield of faith. It means to trust and obey. What are we trusting? We're trusting in God, in his word, and obeying his word, whatever he says to do about the particular problem or situation. Uh, We believe his word and we trust in his word, and that's actually using faith. Remember, faith is not some type of magical, mystical uh, word that we find written on the tops of our doors or uh, little plaques that we hang on somewhere. Uh, Faith is putting the word of God into action. It's believing it. It's trusting in it. And so the believer is able to quench the fiery darts through faith. It's applying who God is and what he says to that particular problem or temptation that the enemy has shot at you, putting his word into practice. So if we're going to deal with the uh, issue of sexual immorality, uh, we have to believe his word is what it says about uh, how to handle sexual immorality, and we put it into practice and we actually do it. So we have to trust and obey. The second thing here If you're going to extinguish sexual immorality, you must practice radical amputation. When we talk about sexual immorality, uh, it takes on several different forms. Um, For some, it's lust. For others, it's fornication. That's sex outside of marriage. Uh, Others, it's adultery. Uh, For some, struggle with pornography. Others, it's uh, same-sex attraction. You're attracted to the... uh, to the same sex. For others, it's homosexual desires. This is a reality that we live in because we live in a sin-cursed world. We have evil desires within our heart. And uh, the truth is, as long as we continue to make these desires accessible by our flesh, we will continue to seek it. And so if you want to continue 
Um, to, if you want to experience true and lasting change, I, I've known people that have cried, they've begged, they've prayed, they say things like, God, just take this away from me. Um, the reality is that's not going to happen. The reality is you have to practice what God says you have to do. Uh, God's not just going to flip a switch for you and uh, it all goes away because in that sense, you're not really trusting in God. You have to practice radical amputation. You have to do what uh, the Bible tells you to do. Uh, so you need to make the sinful opportunities less accessible to you. Uh, Jesus made this, very, this point very uh, uh, understandable here in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So he's talking about sexual immorality here. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is speaking these words here to people who are struggling with sexual sin. And if any of us in here struggle with sexual sin, myself included, these words are important for us to get a hold of and to understand what he's saying. Because he's telling us here, Jesus makes these, this strong statement because he wants you to wake up to the seriousness of the sin. And uh, it's really, it's very serious because he tells us here that if you continue in this type of, of sin with no repentance, uh, then it's a sin that will lead you to hell. Now, not saying that a believer doesn't struggle, but we're talking about a person who is just engaged in such type of sexual behavior with no repentance, with no remorse. Chances are that person does not know Christ, and that will lead them uh, to hell. So it's a, it's a, there needs to be radical measures that, that need to be taken to deal with this type of sin. And notice the standard that Jesus calls us to. Look what he says here. He says, if a person wants purity in their life, it's not just about uh, engaging in sexual immorality. He's, a, he's not just saying, well, just stop being sexually immoral. I mean, isn't that not what we try to do when, when we're engaged in any type of sexual immorality, whether it be pornography or lust? We're just going to say, well, I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I remember a guy... Um, who his wife, uh, when they would go to a mall, his wife would actually shield his eyes from walking by a certain store as to say like, oh, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it. Or to say, well, I'm not gonna go to the beach or you know, whatever the case may be. It's not just not doing it. Uh, Jesus tries to get to the very heart root issue of it and that is the evil desires of your heart. That's what he's trying to deal with it. So this truth highlights one of the main reasons why sexual immorality is wrong, whether it's pornography, fornication, homosexual acts, uh, same-sex attraction, or lust. It reveals the evil, corrupt desires of our sinful heart. 
So Jesus follows this with this serious strategy for fighting sexual sin. How does he do that? Well, if you are tempted to violate the standard and commit sexual sin, then Jesus says you must gouge out your eye or cut off your hands. That's how serious he is about this. So you must not only remove these parts of the body, but he says you even must throw them away with no intention of trying to reuse it. I mean, when you throw out your, uh, your, uh, your table scraps and the garbage, you don't go rummaging through the garbage going, well, maybe I can find something good in here and I can reuse, right? No, you don't do that. You throw it away. You get rid of it because you don't need it uh, anymore. So you don't want to retain these sinning body parts in hopes of using them later. And so he commands us to cast them away and completely abandon them. So that way you don't use them for sinful purposes. Now, just to be clear, Jesus does not mean that you must get an actual knife and take it to your eye and gouge out your eye. He's not promoting self-mutilation here. He's using a powerful metaphor to show us how important it is to practice radical amputation for those who are engaged in sexual immorality. Jesus is urging something even more radical than a one-time physical amputation here. Because after all, people that don't have eyes and hands can still lust and sin with their hearts. So he's trying to get to the heart of the issue. It's the evil desire of your heart. And so he's telling us that when we are tempted to sin sexually, we must act aggressively every time we are tempted and in every way required to avoid that sin. So Jesus wants us to understand that you will need to get tough with your sin. You will need to employ radical measures to limit your access, to starve this temptation that is there. So the enemy is firing those darts, right? And if you're not using your shield of faith, you're not obeying the word is what it says to practice radical amputation. You're going to give in and every single time. God does not forbid sexual immorality because he wants you to be miserable. God forbids it because sexual immorality leads to brokenness, sadness, emptiness, death. And even in this circumstance, Jesus says for a person to continue in sexual immorality, it leads to hell. So righteousness, on the other hand, leads to fullness. It leads to joy. It leads to peace and life. And according to Jesus, this sin is not complicated. This passage is, is there to tell us that if, we're, if, we, if we just obey what the word says and do what Jesus says we need to do, we can actually avoid sexual immorality. So what does this radical amputation look like for the believer who struggles with sexual immorality then? I mean, if we're not actually gouging out our eyes or cutting off our hands, what does it actually look like? Well, if you indulge in pornography, it could mean that you get rid of all the magazines, get rid of any pictures that you have treasured up in your dresser drawers, underneath your bed and hidden in the closets. It's getting rid of those types of things. If you access pornography through uh, uh, any type of device, it could mean getting rid of the devices. If it's a smartphone, change over to a flip phone. If you access it through DVDs, getting rid of those things. If you have internet at your house and you can't 
You can't control it. You have to cut it off. That's how serious this is because Jesus says you have to practice radical amputation. If it's, if it's struggling with homosexual desires, that means that you break off relationships with those that you may know. Quit frequenting the places where you know where homosexual activity takes place. Uh, Jesus says you have to practice radical amputation uh, from type, this type of stuff. So you have to do that. It could mean changing jobs, changing where you live. It means reaching out for help. It means having an accountability partner. Um, having help people with, with homosexual desires and people that struggle with pornography. The thing that I hear most often, it's, I feel so trapped. This is my deepest, darkest secret. Nobody knows about this. I feel so trapped. And so what Jesus is, is trying to do is he's trying to bring that sin out into the light so it might be confessed and forsaken. And that's, that's what has to happen. Um, don't live with this, with this being trapped in this type of behavior. Uh, there is forgiveness. There is great help. There is hope for you. It's not a disease. It's not something that, oh, well, God made me that way. No, there is help and hope for every believer uh, that struggles with this type of stuff. So we have to take radical measures uh, to do this. So you got to practice radical amputation. Thirdly, learn about God's grace. You know, we live in a, in a sin-cursed world, and uh, the, the world is broken by sin. People are broken by sin. And sad to say, but those who struggle with sexual immorality were either introduced to it by somebody who was um, sexually immoral themselves, sinful people, or they sought it out by themselves. And because we live in a sin-broken world, you know, where people are introduced to this, uh, sometimes it's not something that they went out seeking. They're in this trap, and, and so they need God's grace to help them out of it. And uh, so the sad thing about being trapped by sexual immorality is that the more that you indulge in it, the more you become depressed and seek it more and more because of the lie that the sexual immorality gives you. The, the lie that it says is it says, I will give you respect. I will give you love. I will give you happiness. And so you seek it and then it lets you down. You become depressed. And then in order to overcome that depression, you seek it again. And it's just a constant vicious cycle. That's why people that are usually sexually immoral are also people who are also very depressed persons. So it has, to, it has to be you're seeking God's grace for all this. And this is where this all comes in because the good news is that Jesus Christ died to set you free from every sin that can be committed. That includes any type of sexual immorality. Let me read to you what uh, Romans chapter three has to say about this. Romans three verses 21 through 25 uh, Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So it's possible to be free from any type of sexual immorality because of his grace. God gives us grace so that we don't have to be bound by sexual immorality. And so when we believe in God's grace towards us, if you believe God's grace toward you, you can be forgiven and free when you trust in Christ and what he has done for you. No matter how many times you have indulged in sexual immorality and how hopeless you may feel the struggle really is, there is grace for every single believer in Christ to overcome sexual immorality. And uh, when it seems like you think that God's grace isn't real or true, it's because you're, not, you're thinking more about yourself and your sexual immorality uh, that you are than about Jesus and what his grace can actually do for your life. You can be free, but freedom requires grace. So when you become a believer in Christ, one of the things that was given to you was grace. Uh, Romans 1.5 says, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Now, notice how Paul connects grace and faith together. He says, because we've been given grace, we're able to actually obey his teaching or his word. So, in other words, God gives you grace. We Sometimes we think of grace as God's riches at Christ's expense, right? Unmerited favor. But grace is far more than that. Grace is the energizing power that we need to actually obey what God commands us to do. And so if you've been given grace, you have the power to actually believe and trust in God's word through faith and obey what he says. So we're able to obey his commands. And let me give you two important truths about God's grace that I think will help you overcome sexual immorality or fight against it. Number one, you need forgiving grace. Look what Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the first thing you must absolutely know about God's powerful grace is that through grace, God forgives our sins. God doesn't forgive your sins because you were a nice person but be, or because you, you did some wonderful deeds. God forgives you of your sins through his grace. That was through his son. And so God describes here how we can have these, these amazing blessings through grace. We have life and forgiveness, but these things don't come cheaply. What did it cost? It cost the death of his son. Notice how Paul describes our life here before Christ. We had all these sins that we charged up. They were the, look what he says. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. So in other words, you have, you have made a charge of all these sins. And he says, God has canceled that record. Did you ever get a, 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 a charge on your credit card that you didn't make? What did you do? You didn't pay it, hopefully not, right? 
You got on the phone, you said, hey, I didn't make this charge. I wasn't at uh, Uncle Willie's tavern. You know, or I didn't go over here and, and, uh, and go do this. I, I, didn't, I didn't buy a $400 bicycle, right? You, 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 you disputed the charge, and then what did they do? They removed it. They canceled the debt. Well, same thing, but except you actually did make these charges, and you had a, a huge amount of debt built up against you. And God says, I've canceled it. Notice this, with its legal demands. If you don't pay your bills, what happens to you? You go to court. If you don't obey what the court tells you to do, what happens? You go to jail. Right? There's a legal demand that's placed on there. Well, same thing. If you, the, the sin debt that you had had legal demands, what was the legal demands? Death. That's, that's what you were before Christ. And so these sins didn't just vanish into thin air, but they were documented and they were preserved. And God, through his son Jesus, paid the debts that you deserved. So even though we had these, these debts, God made provision for us and he canceled all our sin. Now I want you to think about this. If you know Christ as your savior, has your sin been forgiven? Yes, it has. That's what I love about in 1 Corinthians when Paul goes on, he talks about uh, those that are drunkards and those that are doing uh, sexually immoral type things. He says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, but such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. So you have to understand that there is forgiving grace for the sexually immoral so every homosexual act, every secret evil desire of the heart, every eager glance at pornography, all of our lustful gawking, everything is paid for through Jesus and it's through his death that was for sinners. And so we have this forgiveness of grace. Now we don't just stop there because I think this is where people who struggle with sexual sin really have a hard time with. So they say, yes, I have been forgiven. I know that. But then they don't move on past that. What are we supposed to do? That brings us in the second part here. You need transforming grace. So not only do you have forgiving grace, but now you have transforming grace. Listen to what Romans 6, 4 says. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this news only gets better. Forgiving grace is only one part of the issue. You need transforming grace now. And God's powerful grace also gives us strength to, new, to live in new ways. Remember that grace? It gives us power to actually obey his commands. So here we are. We've been forgiven. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live in new ways. I've practiced radical amputation. I've cut it off. I've been forgiven. But now what am I supposed to do? Live in new ways. Remember, when is a door not a door? when it's something different, when it's a jar, right? And that's the whole idea. We are supposed to be something different. We're supposed to change. 
not live the same way that we used to live. So we need grace that changes us so that we can be like him in his holiness and love. Now, Paul is talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus here. Look what he says. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Jesus' death and resurrection not only pays for our record of debt and gives us forgiving grace, but Jesus' death and resurrection now leads to our transformation, a new walk in life, newness of life is what he's telling us that we need to do. And so through God's transforming grace, we can live a new life because of what Jesus has done for us. So I think it's important for us to have that transforming grace. We need it in our life. You need to pursue God's powerful transforming grace in your life to live a new life by believing the good news of the gospel of what God did for you. God's grace forgives you and God's grace empowers you to live differently and be obedient to him. So what transformation should take place then for the sexually immoral? I mean, if I know that I've been forgiven and I know that I need to live a new life that is walking in newness of life, what does that transformation then look like? Number four, become a thankful person. We go back over here to Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. Paul actually talks about this. Look what he says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, some other translations read greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, although I believe there are several other ways for fighting against sexual immorality, I have found that ingratitude is the main reason why people become sexually immoral and engage in all types, types of morality, immorality, whether that be homosexual acts, pornography, lust, adultery. I mean, you just take, for example, let's just, have, uh, let's just take a husband and wife, for example. They're married. The husband starts thinking, huh, I'm pretty important. By without me, she couldn't survive. Boy, she doesn't treat me the way that I should be treated. And he starts looking around. He's becoming very unthankful. Well, this woman over here, she at least says hello to me. I walk in the door and she doesn't say a thing. Boy, she, she even got me coffee this morning. Wow. You're becoming unthankful. And what are you doing because of your greedy, lustful heart? You are engaging in a behavior that is going to lead to sexual immorality. Think about people who are hooked on pornography. Could be that they had a hard day at work and they're stressed out. And by the way, some people, some people seek pornography because of stress in their life. And because they're not thankful for the situations that God is bringing into their life, they're finding gratification through pornography. So you have to become a thankful person. Paul wants Christians to fight for thanksgiving in their struggle for purity because a greedy heart is at the root of all sexual immorality and impurity. 
The only time people are immoral and impure is when they are greedy for things that, they are, that are immoral and impure. And so if we take away the greedy heart, those evil actions themselves will go away. So you have to deal with the heart, the greedy, lustful heart. You have to replace it with thankfulness. Greedy lust wants what it does not have. And in the battle of sexual immorality, greed perverts desire when you want things you shouldn't want to want so that you might satisfy your desire in the wrong way. I know we have some young people in here that aren't married yet. What's the will of God for my life? Abstain from sexual immorality. That's what 1 Thessalonians teaches us. It's not wrong to have sexual desire, but it's wrong when you want it for the wrong reason, the wrong purpose. Thankfulness, on the other hand, is the attitude of a heart that is thankful for anything and everything the Lord gives you. You are grateful when you are glad and content with what you have. Thankfulness is the opposite of lust because the thankful heart has stopped prowling around for everything it doesn't have and is overwhelmed with appreciation for all the good things it already possesses. So God actually commands us here in this passage to stop being greedy and instead be thankful. He says that'll help you with your sexual immorality. So a good way to start this would be to make a list of the things that God has given you in your life. Just write them down. What has God given me? Become a thankful person. Start using those as prayers to pray back to the Lord. Lord, I thank you for my family. I know they're not perfect, but I thank you for them. I thank you for that I have a, I have a wife that she cooks. I'm thankful that I have kids that love me. You have to change that greedy heart to be a thankful heart. Because those that are consumed with sexual immorality only think of themselves and their own desires. And so this has to be changed. And it can change through faith as you obey God's word. The grace of Jesus Christ gives you the power to actually obey the Lord. If you struggle with any type of sexual immorality, again, I don't know who who does or who doesn't, but I gave you some helpful things there that you can actually use to start employing. Um, And then also up here, I have here, if anybody struggles specifically with pornography, Um, I have a message here, a very great message about battling against pornography. Uh, Parents, if you wanted to maybe take one of these, maybe you could use this uh, to help your own children, to warn them of the dangers and actually actually how to to use it to to fight against pornography. Um, But all that information is there in the bulletin. If you want to listen to the message, it's actually on our church website. The stuff's there in the bulletin on the uh, paper where you can access the the audio for this, uh, this message here. Okay? Don't go at this alone. Don't, don't, don't live in the dark. Um, if you need help, seek out an elder. Seek out, a, seek out another godly individual that can help you and encourage you, be an accountability partner. Sometimes the lie that gets told to you is, oh, what are they going to think? I struggle with sexual immorality. I'm a sinner. I need help. We all need help. So don't live in the dark. Don't live with the thinking that you come here, you have to be perfect. You don't. 
That's the great glorious truth about the church is that Jesus is washing us with the power of the word and we're being made more and more into the likeness of his image. So don't struggle with this alone. Please don't. It'll ruin your life. Don't do it, okay? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.